Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, for those of you who are new to the Radio Islam uh, program, we're on every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, and you can keep up with us on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Uh, last but not least, make sure that you also are subscribed to the podcast. You can get it wherever you get yours at. So we're on Apple Podcasts, so subscribe, rate, and review. We are on SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn, and just about anywhere else, as I said, that you get your uh, podcast from. Uh, oh, there is one more thing. Do stop by RadioIslam.com. There you can check out all of our previous programs. In addition to that, you can also uh, check out guest bios, right? Find out who we're talking to, right? I know we give a little introduction on the program, but you can kind of go behind the scenes. So RadioIslam.com, podcast and social media. Uh, remember all those things. Stay connected. And we are happy to have you joining us for tonight's program. Uh, tonight, I have joining me on the phone, uh, someone I always uh, just learn so much from and have great conversations with and hope you enjoy those, enjoy those conversations, Layla Abdullah Poulos. Uh, she is the uh, founder and managing editor of NBA Muslim. She is a writer, adjunct uh, professor, literary critic. Also, she recently uh, released a novel, My Way to You. Assalamu alaikum, Layla. Wa alaikum so, um, yeah, before we get into uh, some of the other stuff, because we, we have to have a, a full conversation about uh, about your book. Right. Um, oh. All right. <laughs> but I know folks can get it on Amazon. Is there anywhere else that you would recommend uh, that they go? No, it's only available on Amazon and it's, uh, it's also available in print and on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. OK. Kindle Unlimited subscribers. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, there have been quite a few things that have taken place over the past couple of days. And of course, these things are also situated within the um, I guess there's a, a greater awareness of um, I don't want to say uh, female empowerment, but more but more so about the uh, abuse uh, that women uh, have been subject to. Uh, whether in the workplace, yeah, and, and we've it's been more so around the public space, uh, not necessarily just you know domestic, uh, what what's that intimate partner violence, but what's going on in the public space, uh, and I I bring that up to bring us to three things, uh, and what we want to talk about today is uh, well we'll make it our kind of our our jump off point. Um, there was a comment made um, in a uh, speech that was given by the late Malcolm X, uh, Malik El-Hashabazz. Um, and he, he said that the most disrespected woman in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Now, that being said, um, kind of using that as the, the backdrop for three things that have recently taken place. Uh, first today, uh, news was given that Centoya, uh, uh, Centoya Brown was given granted clemency by uh, Tennessee Governor Bill Has um, Haslam. And we'll get into the details, you know, uh, as, as we go on. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, 
the second was the release of um, the BET docu series uh, "Surviving R. Kelly," and the third was something that it happened last week. I think it was last week that this happened, and there was a young uh, there was a young lady, uh, young woman, uh, Yasmin James, who was a McDonald's employee in Florida, who was assaulted by a customer and you know the video went viral of her you know defending herself so the responses to all of these things and the and how these things are are seen by society um in light of this i I guess in light of a movement that is trying to draw greater attention to protection for women i think it's it, it is a it's quite interesting, but it is not something that I see that's happening on uh, on an equal on an equal basis by any means. So, I would like to I would like to start off with Centoya Centoya Brown. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for those who don't know, uh, Centoya Brown, she was born to a single mother who um, uh, it was a part of I guess the the bios that uh, her mother. You know what? The bio is really not even that. Let's just go to the the main point. The main point is that this was a young woman who was uh, forced into prostitution. Uh, She uh, committed a uh, a murder while being forced to prostitute. And even though Uh she was a minor at the time, she was still given. um, It's like, what, a 50 50 years to life, basically a life, Uh a life sentence. So there's a lot to that first statement that we began with by uh, by Malcolm X about being unprotected, about being vulnerable, about being, um, you know, about being, you know, uh, attacked and neglected. That really fits in that in that particular uh, instance. What is what are some of the first things that came to mind for you when you found out that she was granted clemency? But more importantly, What's the larger, what's the larger uh, picture that we might that, we, that that you would think that we need to be looking at? Well, one of the things, one of the uh, learned commonalities between the, the three uh, things that you, the three things that you just mentioned is that first of all, these were all these all involved young women, okay, mm-hmm. uh, women under the age of twenty-five, okay. Some as young as 14. When it comes to Toy Brown, she was 16 years old when she was forced when she when she was forced into prostitution by her pimp, and that's an extremely abusive uh, relationship. And so she was a child at the time. She was in she she was brought up in a neglect from an abusive relationship with her mother, and she was in this abusive relationship with her pimp, and Somehow, the reaction of the broader society, and particularly the judicial law enforcement and judicial system, was to treat her as if she, at her age, with the history of abuse, had the wherewithal to really, really understand exactly what it was that she was doing, especially at the time she claimed that she feared for her life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the responses of the board of society. When it comes to Yasmin Jane, she was yanked 
across the counter, mm-hmm. okay, by her attacker. And she had the wherewithal to defend herself. But the, the stark reality that I see every time I see that video is that none of the men, none of the women, not her manager, no one came to her defense. She was in it on her own. And the initial response was that the customer demanded that she get fired mm-hmm. and then called the police on her, knowing very well that as a black woman in America, she does, she rarely stands a chance of being seen as the actual victim when she actually was the victim. Mm-hmm. You know what when I found I, interesting about that also, uh, uh, Layla, is that the intervention was on was on behalf of the, it appeared to be on behalf of the customer, right? One of her co-workers pulled mm-hmm. her back, right? Yeah. And, 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 and for those who have not seen the video, uh, this young lady is a petite person, right? She's a small... Uh, small, you know, young lady, and I don't know how big uh, the the individual. His man, is, his name is uh, Daniel Taylor. Uh, I don't know how tall he is, what his actual measurements are, but he definitely looked like he dwarfed her. And if there was anyone who looked like uh, they were the threat, it was him. He had initiated uh, the contact. He had lunged over and grabbed her, and as she's defending herself. The thing is, this people celebrated the fact, and and rightly so, they celebrated the fact that she was defending herself. That she, you know, she put her hands up, and and she mentioned in the interview an interview later on that um, that she had learned boxing, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you know as a young person. Um, but the she reality, was throwing those punches. yeah, she was throwing it. But you know what though, <laughs> they weren't, they were not. Um, he was still holding on to her, right? Yeah. So the effort was was definitely celebrated. But in terms of like she wasn't hitting him to the point where he released her or he looked like he was stunned. Um, And I I say that because the response of the young men or the men that were there, which was to pull her back, it was completely I mean, it was shameful. It was completely it was just so totally out of order. I think the, the the customer's behavior was the most shameful part of it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I think the young men, sometimes, you know, when you're in a situation like that, and, I, you know, everyone's like, oh, why are you always talking about race? Because guess what? There's this funny thing called racism that doesn't seem to want to go away. Yeah. You're talking about young black men. The majority of them were. The manager was Asian. Right. Uh, and the attacker was white. Mm-hmm. If they defended her, if they put their hands on that man, the likelihood that that situation would exacerbate violence from law enforcement ratcheted it up even more. It was already a, a potential for violence from law enforcement because you had a black woman and a white man, mm-hmm. okay, that, that, this, that this incident happened with. So that was already there. You add another black man or two black men that actually defended her, then now you have four lives in jeopardy. Okay. So, and we train our black, our young black men to be very careful and very wary because when they do defend themselves and defend uh, uh, other people, they put themselves in the line of fire. And, that's something where you add maleness and blackness to it. 
there's just this high potential for violence and death even and, when you're trying to do the right thing. I will I will definitely um, see the, the, the point that this is learned behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself, you know, there, there's there's an element of shame that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it also makes me think about there was a, a young lady, young African-American lady who was body slammed, I think, by the police in front of her father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, you know, it didn't go any further than that. But he was obviously distraught and conflicted mm-hmm. um, being there in that position. Because mm-hmm. the protection that would th- that you would in your mind think that you would you know you would provide um, that yeah. is not always uh, the outcome, or it's it's a matter of not being able to follow through with. I opened up with some of the the words from the speech from Malcolm X, but the ending mm-hmm. of that speech was a bit more hard nosed and direct and to the point with regard to those who would molest. Um, Molest, in, in in his case, as he's speaking to uh, African American women, says, "We will we will take." I, I'm going to paraphrase. We will take extraordinary measures. He said, "We'll kill you." Absolutely, that is what he said. <laughs> and now <laughs> he said, "We will kill said, you." You touch our women, we will kill you. Now, even that, you would think you. Many people may think that, you know, that was 1962. Then that was an extraordinary statement to make. Because remember, the civil rights movement, okay, still not had come to full fruition, all right? And you're talking about centuries of feeding the message to black men that you can't protect your women. You are not supposed to protect your women, okay? So for this black man to stand up and say, we will kill you for our women was an extraordinary statement to make. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one of the things that put his life in jeopardy because that is something that is supposed to be unheard of is that the black man can defend his, can defend his, the women in his life, in his, in his life. So, and you would think, well, that's 1962. Oh no, that message is very much sent up today. Fathers are told that they can't defend their daughters. Uh, uh, Husbands and boyfriends are told that they can't defend the women in their lives because if they do, they jeopardize their own. What Malcolm X was saying is I don't care whether or not, we don't care whether or not you are threatening our our safety and well-being. We're still going to do it. And it's something that is Exclusively, that this whole idea that you can defend the women in your life is something that in this country is exclusively for white men. Without question, every other man, there has to be a justification for doing that across the board. White men can get indignant. White men can get violent. Mm -hmm. No other man of any other race or ethnicity can, okay? So... And that's a that's, just, that's a central part exists. of valor, right? That's a central mm-hmm. part um, yep. of valor, right? Um, and 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 that's something that has been uh, uh, methodically and systematically rooted out uh, as a natural mm-hmm. response. Uh, and mm-hmm. so yeah, so it was sixty two when when those statements were made. But how relevant? Well, it's not even a question. I mean, it is certainly still relevant um, to this relevant. day. 
uh, and even probably even more so now because in light of this uh, this galvanizing around women being uh, being heard uh, and, and, and looking, you know, you know, not to want to be harassed. Um, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a, you know, as a, as a part of trying to further themselves in their professions, uh, you know, whatever it is. And of course that, that makes absolute sense. But even within that conversation, there is a feeling that I, I personally have that that conversation does not really include, uh, African-American women, nor women of color, uh, in general, um, that they are, they are more on the, on the periphery of that. Um, and I, I think that our society has definitely prioritized the defense of white femininity over everything else. If you look at our iconography, iconography yeah. in the society, justice, white woman, okay, uh, if you see the picture of the Manifest Destiny, what's above that? What What is floating above all those settlers and everything is a white woman. The society is definitely trained to defend it with white femininity over any other any other uh, woman white womanhood over any other womanhood i think it's definitely a binary where because of the history of masculinizing black women Mm -hmm. that we are definitely on the other side of that spectrum and women of color are kind of in the middle between those things depending on how and even some black women, depending on how light they can, how uh, their proximity to white femininity or passing as white femininity that they can that they that they can get. Okay, so mm-hmm. that black body, that black body, and that and, and that that gender together combined is a level of dehumanization takes place mm-hmm. even among black people. Right. Okay. So when we look at the third uh, story that you were talking about, R. Kelly, okay, and those girls, those black girls were not believed. Okay, first of all, they were ch- the majority of them were children, mm-hmm. okay, 14, 15 years old, okay, and they were not believed because, first of all, black, black female bodies are hypersexual, are hypersexualized at a very young age, older, sexually older, okay, criminally older than their actual age and a society where in one instance it's a matter of you you can you're not at the age to navigate sexual you get to negotiate sexually when you're black and you're female somehow you're able to have that ability to do so so these young women 14 15 16 17 years old Aaliyah the most famous one yeah okay she was 15 Okay. She yeah, she was singing and dancing, but she was fifteen and he was a grown man. Yeah. All right. And so this whole idea that 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 female the, the being female and, and, and being black means that the society does not have to protect you. And so when you are victimized sexually, you are less likely to be believed. When you are victimized and abused there's less likely that you're going to have any kind of sympathy or empathy or anything like that. To okay? that point, and, to that point, let, let me, let me interject. To that point, uh, Centoya Brown, right? A, mm-hmm. a 16 year old who had been forced into prostitution. There is mm-hmm. a whole lot more awareness and there still needs to be, uh, and it's, the awareness still needs to expand. 
around human trafficking uh, uh, and, and, and sex, uh, sex, sex slaves and, you know, all just the horror that uh, that that term embodies. This is someone who committed a murder as a, you know, as, as a sex slave, right? Forced into prostitution. Mm-hmm. The same type of sentiment, uh, the, the, the empathy that goes out from, I think, from, from people in general, when they hear about these types of horrible um, circumstances, was absolutely gone, was nowhere to be found when she was being prosecuted. Uh, I can't believe that from 2004 up up until now, um, you know, that that there has been such a change in, uh, you know, in, in the press, in the perception that people have that that morality or empathy has really grown that mu- that much. Um, how does what, what do you think of it? Does that go back to what you just mentioned as far as, you know, um, black women and women of color being uh, hypersexualized? or viewed in, in a way where they are automatically uh, where physical development is equated with emotional intelligence and, uh, you know, maturity. Well, I think in Satoya Brown's case, she was fortunate enough to have someone decide to make a documentary yeah. for her and, and, and garner celebrity attention because first of all, there's a couple layers here. First of all, when you talking when you're talking about uh, prostitution, yeah, there's always this generalization, okay? Uh, because people, society has developed this spectrum when it comes to uh, women in particular, because there's male prostitution too, and there are male sex slaves as well. Yeah. That there's a spectrum. So you have like the Julia Roberts pretty woman type of prostitute, and then you have the uh, kind of like drug addict. Prostitute, like, um, and leaving Las Vegas. I like to use popular cultural references. Mm-hmm. So, like, the pretty woman, the leaving Las Vegas uh, type of prostitution. And in both of those instances, okay, I think in leaving Las Vegas, they were a little bit more real about it. One of the things that's always kept out, okay, is first of all, that a lot of these relationships were very, very abusive mm-hmm. and exploitative, okay? And they involve people of varying ages, but the society doesn't generalize. As soon as you hear prostitution, there's this whole stigma of immorality, okay, mm-hmm. and criminality, okay, because prostitution is a crime, but never any consideration of how that crime may, you may be, be victimized while you're committing that crime. There's no room for that. Now, if you add a black body to that, now you're laying another level of automatic assumption of criminality. Hmm. So if you have a black prostitute, maybe a male, female, but especially a black woman prostitute, society is trained not to have any sympathy, even when it's a child, even when it's someone that's too young to, re- to negotiate sexually uh, uh, and effectively, uh, sexually effectively. There's no sympathy, there's no empathy. And there are a lot of Centoya Brown sitting in jail right now. Mm. There are a lot of them. She was just fortunate enough that she had, which is great for her. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it, that should not be the case where, this, where children are criminalized because through their victimization and have to languish in jail. She languished for 15. 
15 years of her life. Yeah. 15 years of her life. And she was granted clemency and leniency. So she's still a convicted criminal. Now, and let, that's still going to follow up. Yeah, yeah. And, let, and let's talk about that. Uh, in terms of being really responsible in our uh, in the way that we are responding to this reality of, uh, of, um, of, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? You know, of, of people, of, of someone being a sex slave, right? Um, mm -hmm. let's respond to the fact that our, our laws, um, our justice system is not taking that into account. So she, She's she's got clemency. She's she'll be released August seventh, um, but when she leaves, she leaves with uh, notoriety that nobody would want. Uh, and then also she leaves as a convicted felon. So mm -hmm. and she's on parole, so she's not completely free. Okay. She still has to serve parole. Yeah, yeah. So being on parole, uh, and, and we know with with that. Uh, there is still a, a, a curtailment of freedom that comes along uh, mm -hmm. with that. Uh, you know, you can be the, the agents of the state can come in your, your home. They can, uh, they have access to your body uh, whenever they decide. So it's still not, mm -hmm. it's still not com complete freedom, but it's certainly not the incarceration that she's had to endure for the past um, 15 years. It's not life in jail, but she doesn't get to, start her life anew because she's a convicted felon. And so things, things that, uh, I don't know what the law of Tennessee is about voting. Yeah. I know she was in the state of New York. She wouldn't be able to vote. Uh, you have to, on, on, on certain employment applications, if the potential employer asks the question, are you a convicted felon? You have to check that box. Now you have to explain that you're a convicted murderer. She'll have to explain that she is a convicted murderer and who the heck is going to want to hire her. Uh, and uh, they just got rid of it in the state of New York. I don't know if it's something in, with their with the state colleges, but one of the things that was an issue, and some states do have it, is that if, when you apply in, for a college, a state college or university, yeah. they ask you if you're convicted, and you have to check it, and then they go through this whole big thing. And New York was terrible. What people had to go through, this whole idea that you're supposed to be starting your life over again, but now this is following you. So the state of Tennessee, okay, the governor granted clemency and leniency, but the state is still saying, you are a criminal. What you did, you're, you're still a criminal, and we're not considering any of your victimization or anything like that. And so you're going to have to, this is going to follow you for the yeah, rest and, of your life. So she doesn't get a clean slate. Yeah, and to so your, to your point, still yeah, and to your point, uh, she is not able to vote. Um, says, uh, okay. for those in Tennessee who've convicted crimes that are felonies after May 18th, 1981, uh, you okay. forfeit your eligibility to vote. So, okay, so she's been disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like you said, she still has to answer to the state for however long her parole is. And her marketability as a potential employee dwindles substantially, and, but she's supposed to start her life. Yeah. And what I'm she's hopeful, what I'm hopeful. And she was 16 when she was put in jail. Right. And that was, she's women, it's 15 years. She's 31 now, I think. 
So uh, now you have yeah. this this person, this person who has been incarcerated, and at certain points in your life, like from those late teens to early twenties, that's when you develop yourself to the society as an adult. Okay, mm-hmm. you finish high school. You have to think about the job market. You have to think about higher education. You have to think about what you want to be. All of that stuff. You have to learn how to pay your taxes, how to do all of the stuff that, you know, you usually ideally are able to do in the society with hopefully support, ideally from productive and functional parents. She has none of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has none of that. And it's not, so it's not just a matter of, well, she's out now, so it's all good. You know, R. Kelly's victims, mm-hmm. okay, they have life sentences too. Because there's a trauma that lasts your whole life when you are a victim of child sexual assault or sexual assault. He, enslaved, he sexually enslaved some of these women, okay? Yes, they were, and that's they were what parents the documentary looking for them. out. Yeah. There were parents yeah. looking for them. Um, you know, I'm going to make this last point on uh, Centoria Brown, and then we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll get back into uh, yeah. into the R. Kelly documentary. Um, I was going to say that I, what I really hope does come out of this, if, if there is some, some positive note that can be um, taken from this, is that there's a possibility that she can be uh, a voice for those who are, uh, by a large part, are invisible in society. Uh, Mm -hmm. We see people who are, you know, who are victims of human trafficking. They are forced into prostitution. We see people who have had their ability to advocate or make decisions, you know, for for themselves taken away from them, uh, who live under the threat of uh, violence, you know, to them and maybe to family members, uh, whatever the the circumstance may be. And by large, uh, by by and large, we look at these people and we look right through them Um, or we. Yeah. Simply make the assumption that, you know, if we do, you know, maybe the bells go off. Oh, this looks like somebody who is uh, a, a sex worker. This is like someone who is uh, a prostitute, that it's something that's being that it's simply just a, a rational uh, a choice that this person has made on their own, that this is what they want to do with their lives. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm hoping that that there is some uh, greater awareness that she can that she'll be able to uh, facilitate growing that awareness uh, because of her, because because of her story, and what she's but had to go through. So, inshallah, I hope so. I mean, there are a lot of there are, and and if she doesn't want to, yeah. she shouldn't have to. Absolutely, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if she does, if she says, "Listen, I just want to chill and live my life. I've been through hell all of these years, and I don't want to be the poster. I don't want to be an advocate. I don't want to do. I just want to try and heal." She should also, people should also respect that as well, because victims don't always have to put it out there. Mm-hmm. They don't, and if they put it out there, they don't always have to be advocates yeah. or anything, because it's the most important thing is they have the opportunity to heal. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, uh, Radio Sound family, we're going to take a short break, uh, but we will be back in a moment. Uh, you are listening to what Radio Slam on WCEB 1450 AM. We'll be right back. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide 
serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. Uh, folks, remember to keep up with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, and also subscribe to the podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, and Apple Podcasts, all the good stuff. And you'll find us, podcasts and social media. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. Uh, we have joining us on the line. Uh, Leila Abdullah-Pulos, uh, you all know that we, we've we had some great conversations, um, talk a lot about uh, literature and stuff, but today we're talking about uh, the just the vulnerability uh, in society that comes with being uh, an African-American woman, a black woman. And uh, we mentioned earlier about uh, the clemency that was granted to Centoya Brown uh, and you know, just everything that goes around that. But in addition to that, the documentary that aired, I guess it started Friday, um, and it's called Surviving R. Kelly. And this was really, uh, it's unsettling. That's probably the, the easiest way. Uh, it's horrifying uh, in, in, in a lot of respects, uh, especially as a father of, you know, of daughters. Um, it's, it's horrifying. But let, let me ask you this. The old saying, I know it, it seems like when we hear about these types of, uh, and, hope, and for, fortunately we don't get this type of um, news that often, right? Not on the scale that it's come out with R. Kelly, somebody who has been a, just, you know, a serial predator for, you know, for decades. Um, African Bombada. Okay, there you go. Yeah. African Bombada. Zulu Nation, yeah. <laughs> he did it for, yeah. Yeah. So he he victimized young boys for for decades. Yeah. And he was helped. He was helped. He was helped. So I I want to. That was. Yeah. Comes out. You're like it's not like it happened last year. So. Right. Yeah. And I want to I want to get one thing out. I know there's a old uh, there there's a saying that says um says hurt people hurt people, right? Um and it is. It is uh, by no means it, it doesn't justify, but it certainly it, it explains the the cycle of um, the cycle of trauma, how uh, if there's not an intervention uh, and yeah. then that trauma is likely to pass on to other people, other generations, uh, and it continues to repeat itself. One of the one of the things that I came away with watching this. Um, aside from the uh, the disgust um, 
you know, looking at a guy that's 20 some odd years old at one point still hanging around. And I, and I heard, the, had the, heard the stories cause I, I knew people that went to uh, Kenwood, which is right down the street from the high school I went to. And they would say how, you know, he would come up there and be hanging around, even though there's not too much of an age difference between us. He's like, what, maybe four or five years older. Um, but the fact that... Well, was he a student? No, no, he wasn't a student then. No, I, well, you know what? No, he wasn't a student. He wasn't a student. The, the thing that gets me is the, the fact that there were people around, around him that mm-hmm. other men other men in particular Mm -hmm. that allowed for, for this type of behavior, uh, for his, um, uh, predatory, uh, advances to take place and took an active part in them. You know, it's one of the guys on the, on the, um, on the, on the, the video, the the documentary, he says, I made it, you know, I made sure that when we went into McDonald's in Hyde Park, that I would be the one to tell folks, you know, well, you know, he's here, you know, R. Kelly's in here. And this is, Years and years after he's out of school, it's no longer appropriate for him to even be there. Mm. So mm. Th- that's something that, you know, I, I feel like that has to be looked at as well. Um, that this was a really, this was really a team, a team effort that allowed for this type of uh, corrupt abuse of uh, of his influence and, and, and power to actually take place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, first of all, okay, I did not watch that documentary. Mm-hmm. I will not be watching the documentary. It's just too triggering for me. So a lot of what I have to say is really about the responses yeah. that uh, have come out. Because, you know, um, and it's interesting because increasingly you have this clash kind of in in black American culture when it comes to stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And so they, he still had people defending him. And yeah. when I understand his, uh, what is it? Um, oh, God, I forgot the name of the service. For his songs? I've actually, Spotify. his songs are selling more. Spotify, there you go. So he's having more streaming. It's actually increased, okay? And some of it may be kind of like uh, curiosity because you know, a lot of his songs kind of implicate the behavior that he was, uh, engaged in yeah out in his in his life but you know just by virtue of the fact that those things happen it shows this culture where that predators like him are allowed to thrive on money makes it even easier yeah okay yeah. they're broke R. Kelly's that are doing the same thing but they can't do it at the same level as he does because they don't have the money and the notoriety so money and notoriety makes it a lot easier. And I remember Corey Haim, a uh, popular actor from the 80s. Yeah. He was a popular actor from the 80s. Mm-hmm. He, of uh, Felman. I always get the two of them mixed up. He talked about that. He talked about being victimized in Hollywood by people with money. Yeah. Okay. And uh, him and other boys and other girls, young. He was, I think he started his career when he was, uh, uh, like 11 years old. Like Goonies. Yeah. Yep. That's when he became, yeah, Goonies. And so he was he was sexually uh, uh, assaulted as a young man. And it really tore up his life. So it's like money just makes it easier to engage in that type of behavior. Mm-hmm. But also the people that are around you, if you surround yourself, first of all, you have to surround yourself with victims. 
You have to surround yourself with targets. You have to know your target and how to acquire that target. And then you have to have people that enable you to continue to do it. He actually had recruiters, which is like totally and utterly disgusting, but it, it kind of demonstrates how toxic masculinity mm-hmm. views the female body as well as a camaraderie with other men. I'm talking about toxic masculinity, not masculinity, not all masculinity is toxic. Right. So uh, this whole idea that, you know, his enablers had to have a mindset, okay? Because I know a lot of people are like, well, they're making money and they didn't want to lose their money, they didn't want to lose their job, and they wanted to work with him and everything like that. You valued your money and your position over another person's humanity. Mm-hmm. But don't we see that all the time? Right? Don't I we think see- we see that all the time, different levels, but I think R. Kelly's was just like so in your face because they knew. I mean, he continued to do it after even, first of all, he was allowed to do it when the rumors. Because like you said, people were like, oh, R. Kelly's in the building. So yeah, there was rumors spreading around. Then the girl came out and the tape came out and everything like that. He still was able to do it. Yeah. He still was able to. And I bet you he could still do it now. I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised because that type of predatory behavior doesn't just shut off. It just reinvents itself so it doesn't get caught. If there are people who are still defending, uh, still defending him, mm-hmm. then a- Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I believe he could still do it. My, my another problem that I have is this, uh, and I brought up the whole thing about hurt people hurting people because it is true. I mean, it is it is a part. Of, it is a cycle, um, but it is not an excuse. It is not a justification. Exactly. And and this type of predatory behavior is not an example of hurt people hurting people. Even if he was abused, well, that's he's what he says. become a predator. But he's become a predator. Okay, to say to to use. Your victimization as a use as an excuse for your predatory behavior mm-hmm. is obscene. Because first of all, there's so many victims and survivors that don't engage in predatory behavior. Sure. Because even if they even at one time if they do, if they get help, if they if they help themselves, then they, they then they don't engage in that behavior. Some don't engage in it at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're talking about years of predatory behavior. He knew what he was doing was wrong, and he still did it. It wasn't because um, he knew he could. Well, here's the point also. If you recognize, if you say that I need help, I have a problem, and you don't go get help early on, and especially when you have the means to get the help that you need, then... Did he do what that, is, though? Did no, he, absolutely. Did he say I need help? Uh, that's what I okay. okay listen well from the this was a secondhand statement one of the people in the um in in the in the series that worked with him says that he told him when a whole tape came out or went missing or whatever and he says to him I'm going to be uh this is going to do this is going to mess me up you know I need some help I just can't stop taping myself whatever it is right so if that statement is true um and he was aware that you got a problem and you didn't go and get the help that you actually needed you didn't do anything to make sure to stop to stop the cycle that you claim that you are part of 
you were victimized in your youth and now you are victimizing young people yourself it's it doesn't it doesn't hold water for me it doesn't hold water for me at all it definitely doesn't hold water because of the uh, of the simple fact that even like i don't think he ever really even uh if if i'm going to draw this back and make it general Mm-hmm. If you as a victim and you were victimized and you're not in that immediate danger of continuing to be victimized, mm-hmm. okay, you have and you have the space to sit back and, and, and try to understand your victimization, uh, when things happen and come out, uh, you kind of pause and you think about it and you try to uh, improve yourself but, uh, or not improve because it's like the victimization isn't a fault of yours. It's something that happened to you. Mm-hmm. But you try to change. But you try to change the circumstances. Try to change your mindset and try to change your reaction and way of thinking, which takes a lot of work. Sure. It takes a lot of work. And, and, and survivors consistently need support for that to happen. There comes a tipping point where you're, if you continue to do these behaviors that are detrimental to yourself and then they reach out to other people, it's not about you surviving anymore. It's about the harm and damage that you're doing to, to other people. Right. I'm talking about if you're no longer in that space of victimization because if you are continue, continually being victimized, you're still in the trauma, okay? You you don't have any room for that clarity at mm-hmm. that time, okay? But when you're outside of it, that's that's one of the important parts of survivorship. And it's, they're, they're great people. Um, oh, my God, that sister, she's so wonderful. She does with child sexual assault. Uh, I'm so bad at names. I'm going to I'm gonna kick myself. <laughs> she, she's buddy, her, the name of her organization is Buddy Speaks. Okay. Okay, and um, it's about about child sexual assault and child sexual assault survivors. So, and you know, you have organizations like Heart. So, there definitely is a pattern of behavior that victims can demonstrate. But if you're outside of that victimhood and you can now see with some clarity, you should try to change that pattern of behavior especially if it's harming someone else if it's harming you definitely but especially if it's harming someone else and i know i'm not saying this completely correctly and you're going to get calls and stuff like that (laughs) 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 but there comes a tipping point where you're no longer a victim and you become a predator and then you become a predator and it has definitely a lot to do with being in that abuse this is a man who had the insulation of his fame and his money, okay? And instead of using the insulation of his fame and his money, or if you're a person that has, you're now secure from from being a victim and being traumatized, you still have that trauma with you. Mm -hmm. And it takes work to kind of see the effects of that trauma and try to mitigate the damage that the trauma continues to cause in your life. And some people do it better than others. But to use that, hard work that so many survivors go through, okay? And to circumvent that 
and they become a predator and then say, well, it was because I went through that victimization. That's absolutely, I went through that victimization a long time ago. That's absolutely ludicrous. It's not like I, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're a child and you're being sexually assaulted mm. consistently. You're being sexually assaulted and you go and you sexually assault another child. See, like, I don't know. That is a different set of circumstances. I don't know if, uh, if there are moments of clarity with people who victimized others, uh, whether it's uh, whether it's sexual or whether it's, you know, you're, you're a serial murder, a murderer, um, where they have these moments where they repent to themselves or admit that, you know, I have a, I have a problem or whatever. But and, and but it doesn't go any further than that, the, you know, that that repentance or that regret that they may have uh, looking at themselves and what they do. It's never enough to move them to um, to, to stop. Uh, it's never enough for them to, to to go outside of themselves and their own you know their own musings uh, and and reach out. Mm -hmm. And and that's also one of the things that comes with when you have when you have money. That certainly gives you a, a different type of uh, a proximity and access when it comes to uh, mental health. You know you can get the best. You know, uh, you can get the best therapist money can buy. Uh, you can get mm -hmm. into programs. You can get, you know, uh, it, it may be pharmaceuticals. You know, you might you might have to get something, you know, something else uh, to help you move away from these type of uh, destructive behaviors. But one of the things that I also see in this, because we talked about Spotify and how his his uh, streaming has gone up. And I'm sure that's probably mm -hmm. from folks. I'm going to, my, my guess is that it's from folks who may know who R. Kelly is, but really are not familiar with, really familiar with his music. And, mm. you know, so it, mm -hmm. it's a curiosity. Uh, let me find out who this mm -hmm. guy is. Now, there's a societal response, but there's not a legal response. Because when it came to the, there's not a response that's, that's, um, uh, that has, mm -hmm. that's, that's on behalf of the, our, our, our criminal justice system. Uh, or when it was mm -hmm. one that was put up and I still don't know to this day from what I understand, I might be one of the few folks, you know, um, who couldn't speak from a firsthand, uh, uh, knowledge to say, you know, people like that. Yeah, that was definitely him, you know, uh, on the tape when they introduced that. Um, but that didn't, you know, it didn't work. They found him not guilty. And now we're at a point where there is a uh, a societal response to say, okay, well, we're going to mute him, and and that's fine, right? But my question is, what does muting him? How does that stop future predators? How does that address this problem it of won't. exploitation where you have older men take advantage of it younger? Won't. You know, and and to me, I think. I think that has to be a, a part of the uh, that should be a part of the, the, the conversation, because this is to me, it's a token gesture. It, it has no yeah. what's what's the what is the how, how does this how does this impact the formation of of, of future predators? Well, it won't. And that's the thing that uh, predators rely on, because the conversations that are happening in the culture. Yeah. Still are slanted against the victims of these crimes. I mean, you hear things like, 
uh, fast girls. These were fast girls. Yes. They went to the concert. They knew they were going into and everything like that. Yeah. You know, they were still children. It doesn't matter how they were dressed. It doesn't matter even if they propositioned them. They're still children. You're a grown person. You, this, the child does not have the same level of ability to sexually negotiate that a grown person does. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's the reason why you have the laws that you have. Okay. And so it's like, you're, you're supposed to be the grown person. You're supposed to stop it. Okay. And you're supposed to say, you know, little person, you need to move on. And unfortunately, Instead of the some people saying, yeah, well, grown man, grown woman, why didn't you not have sex with this young person? Because, first of all, you know it's illegal. But secondly, this is a person that is not at the same level of maturity to sexually negotiate with you. Instead of that, they look at the victim. Right. Oh, how was this person dressed? Or why was this person there? Or any and, and in some instances though, the the parents were complicit too. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely taking uh, taking payoffs. Because I'm I'm gonna say this right now. If this is me, if this is mm-hmm. if I'm one of the fathers uh that you know, whose daughter has been victimized, then I'll just I'll just put it right out there. Then I'm I'm in prison right now. He wouldn't choose your daughter. You know, simple as that. I, I'm, you know, a, a, a predator potentially would not choose your daughter. Predators don't just pick willy nilly. They pick vulnerable victims. They pick vulnerable victims. That doesn't mean that your daughter's 100 percent safe. Right. But the potential of a predator picking a young girl who has, or a young man who has parents that are there and involved and don't have blind trust for them, Mm -hmm. highly unlikely. Uh, For them to pick children, and and that's why they test kids, they test these young people out as well. How secretive is this young person going to be to their parents, okay? They have to test those waters because it's in that secrecy and those shadows that they're able to do what they do. And the thing is, is that once they do it. Said of the victim is adversely affected. So in, in, instead of it just being a matter of keeping this little thing between us from your parents, you're scared to tell them. Mm. You're dealing with all these conflicting emotions, and you can't you can't tell your parents about it because not only were you secreted from that point, but now you have this heart, you have this secret that. You don't want to release to the world. That's what they count on. That's what they count on. And, and like I said, doesn't mean that every child, uh, children with parents that are there and everything like that, there's nuances and layers to it. And, you know, it's like uh, at the mosque, mm-hmm. how many, how, how, how is it coming out now that, you know, what was it in, in Dallas? Yeah. Okay, where he, where, where, uh, 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 Imam, or was it a teacher, coaxed the young woman into a hotel room and sexually assaulted her. Okay? And so the aftermath of that silences victims as well. You know? So it's like predators know who to look for. And when they look for it, and when they find um, 
their victims, and then they go in for them. All right, and guess what? He he had enablers, so he taught people how to look for those girls right. and which girls to bring back to him, and what his preferences were, what he preferred. Okay, so it's it's a lot to it when it comes to picking out those victims and and, and exploiting those victims, and how it is that society interacts with that. And then afterwards, if you have a society that's going to immediately shame and silence the victim, Mm -hmm. what does the predator have to worry about? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to, we're going to end with this. Um, Going back to uh, what what, uh, brother Malcolm said in 62, it is as relevant then as it is uh, now. Oh, we didn't talk about Yasmin. No, no, we, <laughs> no, we didn't. No, we didn't. But because uh, that white man grabbed that, I'm gonna say it real quick. That white yeah. man grabbed that black woman because he knew he could. He felt like he could. He yeah. just got a rude awakening that she was gonna fight back, as, 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 whatever the efficacy. But he knew mm-hmm. that he could touch that black body. He knew it. Well, I'm glad she let him know that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going down like that. Um, but mm-hmm. as as a society. This is something that we have to take on as a responsibility that our that our our future genera- generations can be rid of this type of predatory uh, environment and behavior, uh, and uh, it, it's going to start with taking on a responsibility uh, and and getting rid of fear, uh, and that's really what I think locks down so many uh, so many people, um, in particular men, uh, who want to stand up on who want to uh i think do what they're supposed to do as men but mm-hmm. anyway that that is another conversation we uh we are coming up on our uh, our exit time folks it is time for us to uh say good night we want to thank our guest as always red islam culture contributor founder of mba muslims and recent uh who's also recently released what's the title my way to you. My way to you. You can get it on Amazon. Thank you so much, Sister Layla Abdullah-Pulos. Uh, Radio Sound family, we thank you for tuning in. We thank our sponsors, Zakat Foundation US, and we thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid, and we'll remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.